0: Now last week, I promised that I would, I didn't promise, I said I would preach two sermons on the Eucharist. However, Deacon Carey kindly pointed out that it was an amazing sermon and I already covered most of the topics so that this week what we should really do in our liturgical sermon series is focus on baptism because we're going to have two baptisms today and it's an important part of our liturgical life. You know, each week we have a a shared liturgy that we go through, but sometimes, and in quite uh, repeated frequency into the future, we are going to have an added liturgy on a very consistent basis for the baptism of people, and specifically the baptism of children. So this week, what I want to do in our sermon series, The Shape of the Liturgy, How the Liturgy is Shaped, and How the Liturgy Shapes Us, I want to talk about the shape of of baptism. And I want to answer three questions about baptism. Because I know that many of us come from many baptismal traditions. And you do know that you don't have to baptize your children at Trinity Anglican to be a member, although I really encourage you, please do it. And today, I hope to make the case that it's the right and good thing to do. But I know that many of us come from many baptismal traditions, and so we have questions. You know, why are we doing what we're doing? What does baptism even mean? So my desire today is to answer three questions. First, what is a sacrament? What is a sacrament? Why do we have these visible signs in our services? And because it's Reformation Sunday, I thought it would be fitting to give you the reformational explanation of what is a sacrament. And Calvin moved along with St. Augustine to say that a sacrament is a visible word. Each week we have two sermons. What is going on here? what is going on here but some weeks we have three sermons we are going to have this a baptism and the table now the second question i want to answer is what is baptism if god is preaching a sermon in baptism if it is a visible word what is he saying in it and i want to look particularly at the image of new life in christ That this is a promise extended to children and a confirmation extended to adults. That if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can die to sin and be resurrected to life with God. I don't know about you, but one of the great desires of my heart is to be washed clean. And so often my life doesn't feel that way. And so that leads to the third thing. What difference does baptism make? What difference does it make for your life with Christ? Well, baptism is a remembrance that if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you have been invited into a life of repentance, death, and new life with him. That if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you have been washed clean and brought into a life with our good triune God. So three questions I want to answer today. What is a sacrament? What is baptism? And what difference does it make? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, where we are going to first look at what is a sacrament. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what we all call the great commission. Where Jesus Christ, right before he ascends into heaven, where he is now ruling over all things, he commissions his disciples to go forth and make disciples, baptize, and teach. What are they called to go do? They're not just called to make disciples of just anything. They're called to make disciples of Jesus. They are called to be people who proclaim the gospel throughout the earth. A people who bring forth good news. And family, that good news has reached us 2,000 years later. None of us are probably direct you know, lineage of the 12 disciples. But because they followed the great commission, that word was preached to the ends of the earth. And somehow or another, it reached your ancestors who gave it to your great-grandparents, your grandparents your parents and to you through this great commission we have been reached and Romans 10:14 through 15 very explicitly says how that happens is through preaching the good news look at Romans 10:14 through 15 one of the most beautiful passages in the bible how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him Of whom they have never heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Now, when Jesus sends out his disciples, we see in Romans 10, what are they sent out to do? To preach the good news. Now, why on earth, if they're called to preach the good news, which is heard with your ears, why does Jesus then say, oh yeah, and do this other thing, dunk them in water? Right? Why do you need a physical sign? We all have ears. All we need is words, right? Well, The reformers realized, and actually this is, it's interesting. Today's Reformation Sunday. Please remember, Reformation Sunday does not mean that the church started at the Reformation, okay? We believe that the Reformation was actually retrieving the historic right teaching of the church that had been lost in the medieval era, okay? Okay? So what did the church historically teach about the sacraments? If it's all about teaching, yet he still says, go baptize, what's going on? Well, St. Augustine taught, rightfully so, that a sacrament is a visible word. Calvin would describe it as a divine accommodation. That God who is invisible, eternal, accommodates himself to us, speaks to us in a way that we can understand. He's famous for calling the Bible God's baby talk to humanity. And the sacraments are another divine accommodation where he speaks to us as physical creatures. And whether that's this sacrament of the table or this sacrament of baptism, he speaks forth his promises of the gospel. In, the, in baptism, he speaks forth. We're going to get into it in a moment, but I'm going to already tell you. He speaks forth the hope of dying to sin and rising to life with him. And then, what does he promise at the table? He promises that when he brings you into new life, he doesn't forget about you. But he will be your God yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he will continue to feed you and be present till you, with you until he returns. What is actually the last words of the Great Commission? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And the Eucharist preaches that gospel message to us. You know, it's interesting. Our lives are full of visible words, aren't they? This isn't just in theology. It's all over. Men, do you buy flowers for your wife? Do you just buy flowers because that's part of our cultural heritage? Probably, yes. That's probably accurate. But what do the flowers mean to reveal? You're more beautiful than God's most beautiful creation arose, right? Man, you should say that the next time maybe you give flowers or something. <laughs> you know, right outside, there's a, a red octagonal sign. And we all know what it's screaming at us. Stop! The light turns green. And at least here in the U.S., what does that mean? Go. There are visible words all over our lives. Every night, my son and I, we hug and we give kisses. And then I give him the sign of the cross on his forehead. And I bless him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dads, as a priest in your home, I encourage you to do the same every night. Why? To remind him that he is marked as Christ that he is marked and set apart by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that is a visible word extended to him. We have visible words all over our lives. And what we see in the sacraments is God preaching to us. Have any of you ever seen... The t shirts, and I'm not going to rag on these. I actually think there, there's some good to it. Uh, I always, you know, just think it's beautiful when I see them, uh, where somebody's being baptized, always an adult. This is normally from a Baptist tradition. And it says, I have decided. Have any of you ever seen those? Right? And uh, that's fine. Uh, if we're an adult, there's some degree to which you have. However, the fundamental sermon of baptism is that God has decided fundamental word that is preached by these baptismal waters is that god has decided not to leave us in our sin and death that he has chosen to come and live for us die for us rise for us and bring us into new life if anyone should wear i have decided shirt it's jesus christ who has decided for us what do the sacraments teach They teach that God has chosen to take us out of death and to bring us into life. Which brings me to my second point. The second thing I want to answer. What is baptism? I've already told you, but let's dig into it further and look at Paul so that Paul can tell us this truth himself. Romans 6 verses 1 through 10 says this. And what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin? We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. What is the good news that's preached in baptism? The the good news that all of us long for. The good news that each and every one of us is desperate for, that we can actually be forgiven. Have any of you ever been dirty? I mean, really dirty. I mean, working out all day in the fields, dirty. I mean, so dirty that you can actually smell yourself. That's not saying something. I mean, so dirty that your skin cakes with mud and grease and grime. I mean so dirty that it's under your fingernails. I mean so dirty that you have to take two showers. Have any of you ever been that dirty? Have any of you ever felt that way in your soul? Have any of you ever felt the weight of your sin? Have any of you ever felt a guilt that you didn't think could ever be taken away from you? Have any of you ever wondered if God could actually love you? Have any of you wondered that if you confess something to me that I would kick you out of the church? Have any of you ever felt dirty? Baptism teaches us something important. The only way to get clean is through the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, so often we try to scrub ourselves with good works, don't we? But what what do good works ultimately do? It's like taking a bath in a mud puddle. It just spreads the dirt around. (laughs) It might make you feel slightly less gross, but it never can make you truly clean. When you're brought into the light, the dirt is still there and God is one who is eternal light and you know you can't come into his presence. But the one place where you can get clean, the one place where you can be washed is through the death of Jesus Christ. It is only by his blood that we can be made clean. It is only by his sacrificial death to take all of your sins upon him, to cover you entirely in his blood, to take you into the grave with him. And yet when he rises three days later, he brings you with him, but your sin stays in the grave. No, our great hope is not merely that we can be made clean. But when we are made clean, we can be brought into relationship with God. That's ultimately the cry of every human heart to be known and loved by the one who can eternally know you and eternally love you. The great cry of the human heart is for new life. But we know that in order to be in life with God, we have to be made clean. And the baptismal waters preach the sermon that our ears can't fully understand. We need a visible sign. We need a physical reality that what the grave does is it can wash you clean. And guess what, family? I don't leave those babies under the water. Not only do you get a chance to be made clean, to go under the water, but he will lift you out into life with him. You see, this is the pattern of baptism and this is the pattern of scripture. Humanity is in slavery to sin and can't get out And yet God in his mercy takes them through an ordeal, takes them through the waters and brings them out into the other side, into life with him. Now, what I want to do very quickly, but I've preached this to you multiple times because I want you to understand your Bibles. But I'm not just making this up, okay? This isn't just coming out of my head because I read too much John Calvin. This is what the Bible teaches and what we see is that there are themes, there are threads all throughout scripture which lead to this image of baptism. And I want to reference three explicit connections of New Testament and Old Testament and baptism and then one implicit. First, uh 1 Peter 3:20 20 through 21 connects baptism to a really important event in the Old Testament, Noah's ark. Now what happens in the story of Noah? Most of us remember it because we were children and there's all the animals and you have fun with the animals. That's, that's like a really small amount of the story. The big part of the story, humanity is so evil, God hits the reset button. They are so evil, their hearts are turned against God and one another. It is the image of the human heart under sin. And so what does God do? He buries the world under the waters of his judgment. But he preserves one family. Family, one family. And carries them through the waters onto a resurrection dry land on the other side into life with him. Now, like we all do, they screwed it up really quick. But he still carries them through a life of sin, through the water, into life with him. We also see this other great image in 1 Corinthians 10, 2, where Paul draws a clear distinction between baptism and what? The crossing of the Red Sea. Moses and the Israelites are what? They're in slavery, bondage to sin. Well, no, they're under Egypt. And then Romans 6 kind of says, hey, guess what? You're in the same boat, but under sin. They can't escape the Egyptians. There's no way to escape they're stuck. And then what does God do? By his powerful hand, he delivers them through the death of a lamb, the shedding of blood. And then he takes them through the waters of the Red Sea. Now, often we forget the waters of the Red Sea. You know, we kind of think, oh, it was maybe like the size of, I don't know like a pond in a backyard. No, it's the Red Sea. It would have been a long walk. I always wondered, do they have to like camp halfway? Because I've looked at the map and I tried to find some of the shorter routes, but a normal route across the Red Sea would be about from here to Morrison, right? And the mountains, when you actually look at the depth, it would be about as high as the foothills of walls of water on both sides. A terrifying experience. River, and Orson might feel terrified today when we baptize them. Normal feelings when you get baptized, right? God carries them through into life with him. What story is he saying again? You can't escape, but I'm going to carry you. Then, this one's not explicit in the New Testament, but it seems pretty clear. How do they get out of the wilderness? They cross the Jordan on dry land. The Israelites wandering in the wilderness. God carries them through the Jordan into the promised land, into life with him. What is the pattern? You're stuck. They wandered in the wilderness. They were stuck in Egypt. They were stuck in a world run amuck. But God didn't leave you there. You were stuck, unable to wash yourself of your sin. But God didn't leave you there. He chose to bring you into life with him. Which brings me to that very final image that the New Testament gives connected to the Old Testament of baptism. And this is the one that many of us know from Colossians two eleven through 12, the connection of circumcision. Abram is called by God out of idolatry, and he is given a covenant of grace. God says, what? I will be your God. You will be my people. And this promise isn't just for you, but for your children. And then he does what? He gives them the sign of circumcision. We believe in adult baptism, just like we believe Abraham should have been been circumcised at an adult age when he came to faith. But then what happens next? Isaac is given the sign of the covenant when he was born. This is a promise that is given. Yes, Isaac had to cling to that promise in faith. Yes, the children that were carried through the Red Sea had to become people of faith in Yahweh. But that promise was still given to them. A promise of unconditional grace that our God carries us out of sin and into life. And family, when I have little Orson in my hands later and river, I'm not going to drop them. I promise. I know that many of the grandmas get really worried when I lie in kingdom later. I know you do. You don't have to lie. I'm not going to drop them. And our God promises never to drop us. See, this is the beautiful image of, there are beautiful images of adult baptisms and children, but one of the beautiful images of child baptism is they bring nothing to the table. They were just born. It's not because they're smart or good looking, although they are smart and good looking, guys, don't worry, It's because they're loved. And so too, our God has chosen to love us while we were still in our sins and to wash us clean. Do you believe that? Do you remember your baptism, that word of promise that was given to you? Even if you don't remember your baptism, if you were baptized, you have been baptized That word of promise is extended to you that our God promises to wash us clean and bring us into life. Now, how does the spirit apply that reality, that once and for all event to us today? What I'd like to do is have us look back at Romans 6 verses uh, at verse 11. So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Look at the connection. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. To make your body make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Now, what does Paul say here is the connection between being baptized, which is a visible word of death and resurrection in Jesus Christ, and our daily lives as Christians? Well, Martin Luther, which Reformation Sunday is kind of helpful for us to remember this, he talked about how all of Christian life is baptistic in its essence, that our lives are continually a death and resurrection. It's what the Puritans called mortification, putting death, and vivification, bringing to life. How many of you have a lingering sin? that the devil has tried to convince you is part of your identity. When the devil has whispered in your ear, what would you be without this in your life? How many of you have a sin that you are so deeply ashamed of that it actually, in your guilt, pushes you further back into it so you don't have to think about it, and then you think about it? How many of us have that? That's a place to remember your baptism. That your fundamental identity is that you are washed clean. You are no longer under the slavery of sin. You are no longer under Pharaoh. You see, that's the beautiful image of Egypt, of the of the of the, the Exodus, right? Pharaoh represents who? Satan. And what happens when finally God's people get liberated? Satan tries to track them down and drag them back into slavery. But what happens to him? He gets drowned in the waters of the Red Sea. Family, when you are feeling temptations arise, when the great Pharaoh, the devil, is trying to pull you back into slavery, that is an opportunity to remember your baptism. And Luther would say, drown your old self in the waters to hold him under because so often he tries to drag us back in. You know, one of my favorite books I've read in the past few years, and I've I've gotten it for a number of the staff, it's Harold Sankbell's book, The Care of Souls. And I really like him because he tries to say, okay, we pastors, we're not therapists, we're not community activists, we're ministers of the gospel. And does the gospel actually matter in our lives? It's one of the things that we need, although I do think therapy is a good thing. I do think activism is a good thing. But it's one of the things we desperately need is to know who we are in Christ Jesus. And if you're coming to me and you want me to be just about anything other than that, then you're in the wrong place. Because I have one job, and that's to announce to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. To never grow tired of hearing your sins and announcing in the name of Jesus that you're forgiven. And then calling you to live a new life. And Harold St. kind of argues that he calls this baptismal therapy. This reality that we all desperately need. Here's what he says. Baptism, thus, is an indispensable instrument in the soul's healing. And an essential tool for every physician of souls. Pastors baptize a person only once. But the significance of this watery grave... For sin continues every day. For the rest of that person's life, he or she, daily returns of those washing. That washing by contrition and repentance. So that the old Adam continues to die each day. And a new person regularly emerges and arises to live before God in Christ's own righteousness and true holiness. So by faithful, patient teaching... By his own example and through his prayer and blessing, a pastor teaches the baptized faithful to remember their baptism. Have you noticed that we have a font in the hallway and there's a little sign behind it. What does it say? Remember your baptism. By daily repentance and baptismal living, that's not the only time to remember your baptism, people. Baptism thus forms the hinge of the new life in Christ. In many ways, the cure of souls is always ongoing baptismal therapy. The pastor applies one aspect or another of Christ's magnificent baptismal gifts to souls burdened with guilt or broken by hurt and shame. At the heart and center of baptism lies the remission of all sins and the shed blood of Jesus remission for sins we've committed against God and sins others have committed against us. Though baptism is a one-time event, such remission meets our collective ongoing need for spiritual health and healing. The forgiveness of sins is the daily bread and butter of every baptized soul. That's why physicians of the soul remain ever alert and eager to forgive sins in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would be a people that continue to remember our baptism. To receive your visible word of washing and cleaning by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we are about to (laughs) baptize Orson and River. Lord, this is a promise that is extended to them, yet a promise that they must receive by faith. Lord, would you move them to faith in due time that they might cling to you as the one place where they can find healing, the one place where they can find forgiveness, the one place where they can find rest and joy in life with you. Lord, would we remember that we have been buried with you, but raised to life as this Holy Spirit breathed into your lungs and brought us into life with you and him and to both of your Father. Lord, would we live a baptized life to the glory of your name. Amen.